You know that feeling you get when you meet somebody who you never thought you were going to meet and they've had such an impact on your life and you finally get to meet them and you're just awestruck and the conversation that you have with them is just phenomenal? Yeah, that just happened with me and getting to interview Claude McKnight. Michael, take it away. On this episode of the Aka Education Podcast, Justin speaks with 10-time Grammy Award winner and founding member of the legendary vocal group Take Six. Claude shares stories from his career, which spans over 30 years, and offers some sage wisdom and advice to all. Let's get ready. It's time for some Aka Education. It's the Aka Education Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 23 of the Aka Education Podcast. I'm Justin Glodish and I told you last week that I had some really exciting guests coming up and this week is no lie. I have... Let's see, 16 albums, 10 Grammy Awards, 10 Dove Awards, two NAACP Image Awards, a Soul Train Award. He is a founding member of one of my favorite groups of all time, Take Six, Mr. Claude McKnight. Claude, thank you for joining me on the Aka Education Podcast this week. My pleasure. Very excited to be here. Oh, I'm so glad. I like this is like goosebumps for me. I I, I have to talk about Take Six because you know you were a founding member and the group has been around for over 30 years. And I have to ask, how did you decide that this was what you wanted to do? How did the group come about? Okay, it was really simple. So the uh, university that we went to was in Huntsville, Alabama, called Oakwood College at the time. Now it's called Oakwood University. And this particular school has a really rich heritage of acapella groups. And I grew up singing, you know, my family is very, very musical. And when I got to Oakwood, I literally started a quartet with three other guys. One was my roommate and a couple of other guys. And we, we had a, a group within a week or so of being on campus. And we would sing pretty much standard, almost barbershop, doo-wop type stuff um, because it's a Seventh-day Adventist institution. And so there were groups that came before us that, that had albums. So we would sing those songs. So. Mm. But we knew we wanted to be different. We didn't want to be just another one of the quartets on campus. So the true story is we were rehearsing in a large bathroom. And anyone who sings knows that you know, we pretty much always have great acoustics in a bathroom. Right. And Mark Kibble, who's in the group now, came into that bathroom and added a fifth part to what we were doing. And we were like, yeah, this is starting to take shape. You know, and so Mark started arranging for the group and then invited Mervyn Warren in. Uh, Mark and Mervyn had been doing some music together and I was doing music with Mervyn and Mark in another group. Oh, nice. But now we had a sextet. We were like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> because we had all grown up listening to jazz, um, inflected chords and all that kind of stuff. We all played instruments. I was a trombone player growing up, so I played in jazz bands. Awesome. And so that's basically how the group started. We were like, okay, I think we might be the only sextet on campus and we're satisfying this uh, jazz chord thing that we really love. 
That's that's amazing. I love that you, you know you started as the quartet and then guys just kind of like you never know what you have until it really starts to take shape. So that's that's great. And you said Mark and Mervin um, were were they both primarily your arrangers when it came down to what you started out as, or was it just all six of you kind of contributed in some way, shape, or form? When we first started out as the quartet, again we were all pretty much doing arrangements that were already there. But mm-hmm. Mark came in, he was already an arranger of some note. You know, he'd had other groups and stuff. We're like, man, this is really cool. And yes. Merv had already had other groups. So they started bringing their original arrangements into the group. And so basically the sound of Take Six, for the most part, comes from the brain of Mark Kibble. Mm. Now, Mervyn Warren um, did a lot of really amazing arrangements for the group early on but a lot of people don't realize that although Mervin was pretty much one of the original members he was only with us for the first two albums mm. yeah and so That's then crazy uh Cedric Dent was also a uh, baritone on the group so the three of them were the primary arrangers even though everybody in the group arranges to some degree that's fantastic and you know you said that you you went to college you went to college for music yes it's I was a music awesome. major and it's crazy Man. because, again, I said I played trombone, but this mm-hmm. particular school my parents went to, so that's why I went there. And I knew going to the school that they didn't really have a very strong band program, but I went <laughs> anyway. And so I think, it, you know, I think everything always works out the way it's supposed to, um, even though I wanted to do orchestration. And at that time, to be honest with you, you may not be old enough to remember this or whatever, but when Johnny Carson had The, t- the Tonight Show, mm-hmm. Doc Severinsen, was the band leader and he had this amazing jazz band. I was like, that's what I want to do. So I wanted to play trombone in that kind of band, but because this college or university didn't have that, I was like, well, let me sing, let me figure it out. And that's how the group started. And then the, the, look at where you are now. That's that's phenomenal. Do you still play trombone? I have to ask. I, I still play, you know, I haven't played nice. in a while, but you know, if you know anything about uh, playing brass instruments, it's all about the embouchure. You have to you know, get it back in shape, but I know the positions and all that. I can still play a little bit. That's awesome. And, you know, you said your parents went to the same college, the same university that you went to. So I'm guessing they were a pretty solid influence on you growing up. Um, who, who else or um, what style of music did you listen to growing up? What really were your musical influences as you were growing up? So it's great. My house had a very eclectic mix of, of music in it. My mom's side of the family um, was all musical. Her father, my grandfather, uh, had the choir at the church. Okay. Well, all of us matriculated through that choir. So from the time I was probably eight, nine years old or whatever, I was going to choir rehearsals with my mom and learning the parts and everything. My dad loved music, even though he wasn't a musician at all. So we had all manner of jazz in the house. We had gospel in the house. We had classic R&B in the house. We had classical now so we listen to all of that stuff growing up any uh, particular artists that uh, stood out to you oh yeah so for me personally i loved woody herman and the thundering herd <laughs> and woody herman was a clarinet player who had this amazing uh big band and i actually got to go see them play when i was in like the eighth grade ninth grade or so and so that really was the kind of stuff i listened to the the uh, Glenn Miller stuff, the Quincy mm-hmm. Jones big band stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was all my stuff until I got hip to the Singers Unlimited. And then the high lows, 
and then the Mills Brothers and groups like mm. that, and then the Manhattan Transfer. And I was like, man, this vocal stuff is what I've been hearing from instruments forever. And so I started falling in love with that. That's fantastic. You just mentioned uh, Manhattan Transfer, and you recently were just a part of a, a documentary with them, um, correct? Yes. We have awesome. been touring with them for the past two years or so. And they decided to do a documentary and we're part of that. And so we grew up listening to them and they've been fans of ours. So being on the road with them was a pretty amazing experience to get to hear their hits night in and night out and mm. sing, you know, in the background and from the wings, you know, the stuff that we love growing up. That's fantastic. Now, um, I mentioned all of the accolades, all of the awards, um, you know, that Take Six has won um, throughout their career. And I'm I'm curious, is there any specific award that stands out to you the most um, throughout your career? And which one is it? Yep. I've answered this question before, and it is literally one Grammy that we didn't win. Ooh. So our first year, we were nominated for three Grammys. We won two. The one we didn't win uh, was for Best New Artist. Mm. And the reason why that's my favorite is you can only be nominated once for that. Right. And literally, I mean, there's what, only four or five other artists in that category. So the year that we lost that, Tracy Chapman won for Best New Artist. Okay. That's my favorite nomination because we were this little group who at the time hadn't sold more than probably 50,000 copies of our album. And Mm. here we are on the biggest stage in music, as far as the awards were concerned, being nominated for Best New Artist. So that's my favorite one, even though we didn't win it. That's awesome. I, I love that that way of thinking, because you're right, that whole Best New Artist idea is, it's really a one, one-shot deal. You know, you get nominated once and then you're kind of gone and hopefully your career kind of right. lasts after that. You know, um, so, You have been around since, uh, I believe you started in the 80s, you know, way back in the 80s, and you released albums or 16 albums over the course of your career. What do you attribute to the long-term success of what you've done in your career with Take Six? I think it has to do with a couple of things. One, we constantly, even to this day, continue to push each other Mm -hmm. musically, emotionally, uh, spiritually. You know, all of those things. And we really like each other. You know, that might sound trite or that is not that important. But anyone who's been in a group, even if it's just two people, know how hard it is to be like-minded. Because what happens is sometimes you get successful and one person feels like they're not being heard as much. Or you're Mm -hmm. unsuccessful and there's people in the group who are like, well, if we did it my way, we'd be more, you know. And I think that kind of stuff really creates an environment that isn't healthy within a group. And for us, we've always made it important to make sure everyone's heard, that everyone's mm-hmm. respected, and we're family. So we have arguments and stuff, but we always talk them out. We always make sure that each person is represented. And I think that has contributed big time to the longevity of the group and has made the music stronger. What you just said really can be tied to any group that's out there, like even students who have their own groups. There's a lot of student groups forming in colleges, high schools, you know, and they have maybe someone who kind of oversees it, but really it's the students putting all the work together. So the fact that you mention being able to listen to one another, it's not necessarily one person in charge. Everyone is an equal part. Um, I think that's a valuable lesson that people, you know, need to hear and, and understand. And-, and let me add this. 
let me add this. One thing that people don't realize is you can be a dictatorship if you want to. Sure, that works in certain groups or whatever. But the human spirit is such that if you feel you're not being heard, you will find a way to get heard. Mm-hmm. It always happens, you know, yeah. and that might be the person who makes sure that they sabotage certain things or they make sure they're, they're late or they're, you know, it brings about a spirit of, of insurrection even to where it's like, yeah, okay, well, you're not going to hear me. I'm going to make sure it's kind of like, I'm going to take my ball and go home kind of thing. Right. You know, it's so important as far as group dynamics are concerned. Mm-hmm. Make sure there's a certain amount of respect in there to where I may have a lot more talent than you, but that doesn't mean you are less important. Right. And, and I think that's that's valuable too. You, you, we talk about the word harmony. Harmony means more than one thing here. It's not just, you know, your voice is combined, but it's it's that group dynamic that really makes each person feel valued. Like I know for a fact that when I was in my group, um, you know, we had our discussions, but I knew that the 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 tenor who sang all of the solos, uh, he is better vocally than I, you know, but I, I knew where my place was and I knew what my value was to the group, whether it was on stage or even behind the scenes, you know, running the business aspect of it, which I think a lot of younger artists and uh, younger students don't really get that. It's not just the performance aspect and, and the rehearsal and what you put in in that aspect but there's also like a business side to it uh being cordial to not just your group members but to the people that you meet along the way so just out of curiosity your group you know does each each member have like a specific task that you know on the business side of things like do you have guys that like handle specific jobs uh that aren't necessarily performing we do and i think what we're even now 30 plus years in redefining those roles at times because you know each guy thinks that they can do everything equally well and that's not necessarily true so you try to give certain tasks to each person and kind of encourage them to stay in their lane but to also make sure that they again are heard and are able to give feedback on other things and we're democracy you know we try to we make sure that we vote on everything so if we get four votes it goes ahead if mm-hmm. three votes, you know, we try to lobby to make sure, you know, <laughs> play or whatever. Um, but yeah, it is important to find roles within that because everybody's going to have a different skill set. So you can't have mm-hmm. one guy being the treasurer if he doesn't know how to, you know, handle the money right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's important too. You know, I know that there's, when it comes to voting thing on things, especially like choosing officers, I know of some colleagues that they see it as, um, the students see it as a popularity contest rather than who can handle the job the best. It's, oh, that's my friend. I'm going to vote for that person. So it's smart to have, to like to take the friendship out of it for a second and focus on the the strengths and qualities of those people. It's a so, tough thing to do though, because yeah. every single one of us on this planet has an ego. Mm-hmm. And you don't want your ego to be crushed but at the same time, you have to try to keep your ego in check so that if you're not picked for something, you don't look at it as, at it as a slight. But it goes back to what I was saying. There has to be a respect underneath all of this. Right. Absolutely. Now, you've already given some great advice so far. So um, I have a couple ideas. Um, I want to ask you some for some advice uh, to the educators and to the students and the listeners out there who might have um, might be focusing on different things. So I want to start with um, actually starting a group. You mentioned how you started your group. You were in college, started with a quartet. But is there any advice to 
uh, listeners out there, let's say teachers who want to start a group um, with the students that they have, do you have any advice on how to do it um, where they feel comfortable and not overwhelmed? Well, that's a great question. I think you have to, as, a, as an educator, you have to have a special ability to pick up on your students' abilities. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you can't just throw any and everybody into a group and call it a group because maybe there are certain people who, um, and then it goes, you know, into what type of group, you know? Right. If I love rock music, but I want to sing in some kind of vocal ensemble and we never sing rock in that vocal ensemble, maybe that's not the one for me. And I mm-hmm. think that sometimes the educator might have a better idea in just listening to what people want, right. you know, what they're good at, and then separating people in a way that, oh, well, there's two or three people who like this. Let's see if we can get a couple more and have a larger group over here. And these are the jazz people, and these are the people who don't know yet. Hmm. But I think you have to always make it fun because anything new that people aren't really sure about, if it's not fun, it's easy or easier to stop doing it. Right. It's fun, even if you're not learning anything yet and not doing anything yet. If it's fun, you say, well, let's try this again next time. And then the next Mm -hmm. time you start building upon that. And that's what groups are. It's just building upon. In fact, my group, even though it started out as four people, went to five and six, we went through probably 15 different people in different parts before we got our initial record deal in 1987. Oh, wow. That's that's phenomenal. Like, I... I wouldn't even know that. I wouldn't even think that, you know? So you make mention that the students who like specific styles of music may not fit into specific groups. And I think that's important for, you know, those students to understand and for educators to understand too. Um, You know, I know that a lot of acapella groups, especially in the school setting, um, they aim for those student strengths and maybe they choose repertoire that benefits that soloist um, per se. So it's it's more encompassing. Um, But, you know, your group has focused on, you know, one specific genre, basically, um, or taking songs from other genres and recreating them into your own style. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's something that I think educators and, and students too, even college level students who are arranging for their own groups, um, they get a little nervous about because, you know, they want to try and stay true to the original. So when it comes to arranging, and taking, you know, songs that might not necessarily be within the realm of what Take Six would normally um, sing. How do you get into the thought process of taking something different and arranging it to fit your style? Another really great question. And it goes back to kind of what I was saying a little while ago. If you already like the song, for whatever reason, you're going to have more of a a thought process and a, and a desire started arranging it in different ways that suit you, you know, as opposed to finding a song that you think will work for what it is you do. Mm-hmm. I think because let's, let's look at it this way. Not every arrangement we do ends up being the, the be all end all. Right. But we may have started out with a song we love, mm-hmm. you know, and with that song that you love, maybe you can change it a little bit within the arrangement and say, oh, now it's it speaks more to me. But if you start with the song, it's like, 
and I don't, you know, I, I, I want to say this because it's a, a saying that I use a lot. It's like trying to polish a turd. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. You know, and uh, yeah. if it's a turd for you, meaning that it's not something you're really, really sold out on as far as I love this song. Mm-hmm. It's hard to put all of your creative juices into it. And then how do you sell that to the rest of your group as you're arranging it? Right. You know? Yeah. It, it's hard to really sell something if you're not sold on it yourself, exactly. you know, and, and that, that is reflected in the way that you pers- pursue, you know, teaching it or pursue arranging yeah. it from that point forward. Mm-hmm. Man, such, there has to be a love great. for it. So all yeah. the things you're talking about, there's got to be that love underneath it because there are going to be times when even the love of something, you're going to feel like you don't like it, mm-hmm. you know? So imagine yep. you only kind of like it and then you get to that. I don't like it far. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 that's the point where you need to definitely kind of like just put it aside and mm-hmm. and go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, um, curious about your arranging style or the arranging style that you all have. Um, do you focus more on putting the notes to the page, or do some of your arrangements come from jam sessions? I I could say like vocal jam sessions, you know, uh, with your group members. Um, How do you go about arranging or um, how does Take Six go about arranging their repertoire? Is it a variety or? Here's the the dirty secret of Take Six. We all read and write as far as music is concerned. Mm. But all of our arrangements from the very beginning until now are learned by rote. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And what we have found is that it makes more sense for us to not have to wean ourselves away from a keyboard or away from uh, a sheet of music. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess that's the weird thing. I mean, we do use the keyboard. You know? Right. We, we don't want to wean ourselves away from a score that we're reading so we can feel the chord structure and what the arrangement is doing almost in an organic way as it's mm-hmm. happening. And we right. never really jam session and arrangement. Those are all planned out. Now, we may uh, jam session it later on and change a few things here or there, but it still has to have that foundation of this is the actual arrangement. Now, I, ha- I have to ask because my favorite, all, all my all-time favorite Take Six songs is uh, So Much to Say. So you're telling me you learned that all by rote? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That like, all right, mind blown. That's, that's fantastic. That's so cool. I wrote. That is, that has been one of my favorite songs for gosh knows how long. And, uh. That's so cool. Um, now, when it comes to drive and motivation, especially um, considering what's going on right now with um, the pandemic going on, um, a lot of people may feel that their drive is kind of not there as much as it was before everything kind of shut down. So what are some words of advice that you have for anyone out there, regardless of age, regardless of profession, um, what drives Claude McKnight? What is his motivator? What gets him going every day? Um, it's the same thing I've been saying. I have to love what it is I'm doing because you're kind of answering the whole thing yourself. I mean, there's so many things going on. The pandemic, people having to stay home, our, our um, routines being completely changed. If you can't find something that you're passionate about and love, that's tough to get up every day and just kind of not have a compass on where to go. So for me, I love music, mm-hmm. you know? I love what Take Six does. I love listening to all kinds of different music. So music has always been a defining factor and something that that um, 
gets me up in the day, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you better find something that you're passionate about. It doesn't matter what it is, you know? And then have goals as far as that's concerned. Do I want to work in this field some kind of way? Do I need to research how to make that happen? Do I have a, a long-term plan? Can I break that long-term plan into smaller goals so that I don't get uh, sidetracked along the way? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times we don't know how to do something and we can be very excited about something, even passionate about it, and then get bogged down in the details of not knowing how to get there. Right. You know, ask somebody. You know, you'd be, you, yeah, you'd be, you'd be surprised what people will um, find out when they actually ask somebody. Because yeah. I mean, as as a teacher, you know, I always tell my students that's how I'm able to do my job better. Is if because I'm not, I say I'm not a mind reader. I I'm not I'm not sure what's going on inside everyone's heads. So if you ask the questions, that makes me do my job better. That makes you learn more. Yeah. So absolutely, asking the questions, yeah. huge. Yeah, and I think that. Unfortunately, and myself included sometimes, again, it's either the ego or maybe being afraid to ask because you think that you should already know the answer mm-hmm. or whatever. So you're like, okay, I won't ask. And it doesn't actually get you where you want to go. Just ask the question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm that way. I'm actually that way too. I'm not going to lie. I'm one of those people. But I know that, uh, you know, again, going back to what I tell my students, you can ask that question and I guarantee you there's at least one other person in the room who has the same question that you do, but is just afraid to say it as well. It's about being proactive and, and asking the question and, you know, taking the bull by the horns as, as some might say, and just, you know, taking initiative. So, um, yeah, oh man, I'm, I'm learning, I, I'm learning a lot and I'm really thankful. Um, so, I, I want to ask, because I know that, you know, things have kind of really been put down uh, over the past year, um, but what's going on? Uh, what's going on with Take Six and what's on the horizon? So we just released within the last few months, a Hal Leonard collection of arrangements or, or actual transcriptions of our original arrangements from the first album. Oh, nice. So that was very, very cool. Um, what we're also working on is looking into maybe doing the next album, which may be a Brazilian project. Okay. And or um, an iconic number two. Because okay. our last album was called Iconic. And those were yep. all, all songs that we fell in love with growing up. When we, we made sure that each song that we did had at least five yes votes. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Four, five. <laughs> so there that was such a fun, fun album to make that there has to be a follow-up. So that's what we're working on, getting the thought process together on that. That's awesome. And um, just curious, out of all the repertoire you sang and arranged and worked on and performed over your career, what song sticks out to most to you? Wow. It depends on I know. the day. But I think one of the songs that is always in my top two or three that we've done is Setambro, which is the Brazilian wedding song off of Quincy Jones's Back on the Block album. Oh, nice. That song for me, whew, anytime I hear it, anytime I think about it, I think about where we were when we recorded it. That's literally 30 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, um, and working with Quincy 
and working with Bruce Swedeen, who was his engineer who just passed a few months ago and did all the Michael Jackson stuff and all those stories and stuff. So that song is amazing. It was written by Yvonne Linz, who is an amazing Brazilian songwriter. So, oh man, that's the song for me. Awesome. Man, Claude McKnight, it has been an honor to be able to talk to you this week. Um, you know, as a, as a personal fan, I had the honor of seeing Take Six uh, my freshman year of college for the first time uh, in Troy, New York at the, the Troy Savings Bank Music Hall. My buddy and I went and we were just in awe. We were floored. We loved every minute of it. And um, thank you for taking the time to join me this week on the Aka Education Podcast. It, is, it has been an honor and a blessing to be able to speak with you. It's my pleasure. And you asked some very insightful questions. I just, just keep listening to your students. Just keep growing as an educator, man. And thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. This is Justin from the Aka Education Podcast here to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is what I use to create these podcasts. And let me tell you, it's free. Uh, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And the beauty of it is it will distribute the podcast for you. So I can record on Anchor and it's going to send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places as well. And I love that I can make money from this podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So be sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So over the weekend before this episode went live, I posted an Instagram contest to have people try and guess who this week's episode guest was, which you all heard was Claude McKnight. So congratulations to Charlie, Lisa, and Bakari for getting that correct. And once again, thank you to the legendary Claude McKnight of Take Six for joining me this week on the podcast. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on social media at AkaEd Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at OfficialJGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. New episodes are released every Wednesday. You can also now tune into the podcast on Akaville Radio, akaville.org. If interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation, go over to anchor.fm slash podcast to do so. And if you ever have any questions about the podcast, suggestions on future guests, please email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the Anchor website. From the Aka Education Podcast, I'm Justin Glodish. We'll talk soon.